Well, we've got quite a number here this this morning. This is great. Um, we're finishing up the book of Joshua this morning. Uh, we'll look, I want to give get the context again for wh- where we are. What do we call these first five books of the Old Testament? The Pentateuch or the Law? The books of the Law, yes. And this word, which you probably can't read because this image I got off the internet is not real crisp, but it says law. And what's the next set? History. That's right. And the first book in the history is Joshua, which is the one we're going to finish up this morning. And then the Judges. And that goes all the way through the book of Esther. After that, we'll have poetry, and then we'll have the prophets. Um, Okay, now Manson found me one that he had used. So we'll get another view of part of this. <coughs> this is a. Books are different sizes based on, on how many years of history they cover. So, of course, Genesis covers you know, thousands of years, so it's the biggest one. And then we've got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. The reason, the reason those don't get a very, very big time slot is because there wasn't much time in each of those. Um, and even Joshua didn't take much time. Now, Judges, how much time does Judges cover? Yeah, several hundred years. So it's got a pretty good size. And then um, Book of Ruth actually happens during the book of Judges. We don't know exactly when, but sometime during that, that time. Uh, then we've got 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. And 1st and 2nd Chronicles covers that whole period. It, it covers everything from 1st um, Samuel all the way to the end of 2nd Kings. Then, then Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah are the last historical books. And you notice there was a gap in there. When we, when we, come, when we get to that point, we'll see why there's a gap in there. The historical books. Okay, and then um, we'll look again at our outline of our current book, which is Joshua, which we're going to finish up this morning. We could have put this a little differently. It's sort of like we have an introduction, we have a conclusion, and the book itself is just two parts. Because you see, the bulk of the book is in sections two and three. The introduction in preparation for possession of Canaan, that's, you know, the the angel appeared, you remember that, and told Joshua how to do it. And they they crossed the the Jordan River with with the miracle of the stopping of the water. Um, And then the conquest takes quite a few chapters. We covered that, and this, then there's the division of the land by tribes, and that takes quite a big chunk, and we're going to finish up that section this morning, and then finally we have a couple of speeches that Joshua gives at the very end, which reminds us of who else who did a similar thing. Yeah, Moses ended up his life the same way with these speeches. Um, all right, so um, division of the land by tribes. That's what we're looking at um, right now. Chapter 18. We didn't finish chapter 18 last time. 
Uh, I've got one more overhead. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. <laughs> if we're doing the division of the land, we've got to have a map. And in last week's lesson, we got a few of the tribes. Uh, divided up into, you know, they were given their territory. Uh, can anyone name me one of those tribes? That, the earliest ones that were given territory. Judah. Judah, yeah. Down here, Judah got a big, a big huge chunk. Alright. Who else? Ephraim. Ephraim. And actually, Ephraim and Manasseh both got, got territory. They're both tribes of who? Joseph, yes. And so uh, Judah and Joseph's two sons got tribes. Now, actually, Manasseh already had a bunch of territory on the other side. So Manasseh, that tribe got split into half. Half of it on the east side of the Jordan, half on the west. And now, um, they move forward. We got up through verse 1 of chapter 18 where they set up the tabernacle. And how long is the tabernacle going to be there? Round numbers. I mean, hundreds of years. It's going to be in Shiloh for hundreds of years. After Shiloh, where is it going to be? It's going to be in Jerusalem. Yeah, there's a gap. There's a gap where it's nowhere, but it will eventually end up in Jerusalem. Um, now, um, verse 2 of chapter 18, there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, how long will you put off entering to the, take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Now, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why they gave three tribes their possessions and then they just kind of hung around you know, twiddling their thumbs. I don't, you know, but, and Joshua is kind of upset about this. You know, get going here, folks. And so they, um, they selected men to do the survey. And they went all over the, the territory and, and wrote down, because they had to figure out you know, what would be a fair division. Now they divide, it was actually parceled out by lot. Now what does that mean? Drawing yeah, drawing straws. It was by chance. So in other words, it was in God's hands. But they, they, had, they had to work it out to where it, it, the sizes were fair when, when, they, when you got these lots. And so the next one mentioned in chapter 18 was Benjamin. Benjamin fit in here between Judah and Ephraim. Uh, and the, the line actually went right through Jerusalem, uh, where um, the, there was kind of two halves to Jerusalem. Judah got half and Benjamin got half. Um, and Benjamin didn't, they weren't able to take their half. Their half had the Jebusites in it, and they couldn't, they couldn't kick them out. But Judah, got, Judah was able to kick the Jebusites out of their half. Um, and, of course, you may have, I'm sure you noticed as you're reading that there's a lot of towns listed in these, in these chapters. And most of these towns are never mentioned again in the Bible. Um, you, you can get an idea about it if you have a, a Bible that has good cross-references 
If you see a little letter A, B, or C beside it, that means it's mentioned somewhere else. And you go through it, most of these don't have anything beside them. And I, I don't even know whether, whether we even know where all, all of them are today. Uh, my guess is we don't. Um, now, Simeon, there's something unusual about Simeon. What's that? Yeah, yeah, he... Again, the thing that struck me as odd is why do you give three tribes their territory and then seven of them have no idea? <coughs> You're liable to come up with the end, at the end if you realize uh, we gave a little bit too much at the beginning and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they got to the end and said, you know, Judah's got more than what Judah needs. And so they put Simeon in the middle of Judah basically gave some towns out of Judah uh, to Simeon. But interestingly enough, what is that a fulfillment of? Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, what had those two young men done that was so bad? Very cool avenging sisters. Yeah, you remember that trick they played on the men of Shechem? You know, if you all get circumcised, then we'll intermarry with you. They all got circumcised, and they, while they were all so <clears throat> sore, they couldn't fight. They they slaughtered the whole town, and um, a very unfair way to to fight. Uh, and their father, he was just um, horror struck with this, and and he remembered it to the day of his death. And and when he gave all the tribes blessings. Those two guys got curses instead of blessings. I'm going to I'm going to scatter you in Israel, and so Simeon got scattered by getting individual cities in the tribe of Judah. Um, now the others, there's nothing too noteworthy about the rest of them. Um, I'll just I'll mention you know we can just look at them. Dan got the, this region here uh, by the coast. Uh, near Philistine territory, in fact, later on the Philistines. Um, uh, Issachar got some pretty nice territory. The, the plain of Jezreel is a great farmland. Um, Zebulun got, also got part of the plain of, of Jezreel. Then moving on, we have Asher and Naphtali. And we'd already had Rumadgad and half of Manasseh on the east side. So Yeah, that's, that's seven, so it worked out fine. Um, so now that they got all the tribes given their territories, now understand they didn't... There were still enemies within these tribal areas. God had told them from the very beginning He wasn't going to drive everybody out instantly because then the land had become depopulated and that's, that's a bad thing. So He was going to give them Victory as they needed it over the period of time. Now that also had a second advantage that I don't think is mentioned, but I'm sure God had it in His mind, and that is that it gives each generation a chance to exercise faith. Because faith is not something that you do once and then you know for the next ten generations nobody has to do anything. Each generation has to have their own faith, and so this gives them that opportunity. We'll see in the book of Judges how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> then in chapter 20 
They're, they're, they're going to finish something that was begun back in the days of Moses. And what is that? Allocated the cities of refuge. What are those cities for? For those who uh, killed somebody accidentally, they can, the avenger can protect them. As long as they make it into a city of refuge, the avenger of blood, the nearest relative, typically would not be allowed to kill them. And so they'd already, on the east side, they'd already allocated um, three cities. Uh, I think Go was, I think Goan was one of them. Um, Ramus Gilead and Bezer. I think these underlined things mean they're cities of refuge. And then on the west side, there's one way up in the north, Kedesh, one in the middle, Shechem, and then one in the south, Hebron. So, and of course, the whole point was to have them scattered so that they're, they're, you'd always be near, fairly near one of them when, when you found yourself in that very unfortunate situation because not only did you have to get to the city of refuge and then you had to have a trial make sure you were innocent but then what what ha- happened I had to stay there until until the high priest died yeah who knows how long that's going to be wouldn't you hate to be the high priest and have all these people <laughs> then in chapter 21 we we have another tribe that we had Levi. Not mentioned. Yes, Levi. <clears throat> what do they get? They get cities. They get cities, yes. And this, of course, they were the second half of the Simeon-Levi pair. They're going to get scattered. But instead of being scattered into in one tribe, they're scattered throughout all 12 tribes. And did, did anyone know how many cities they got? 48. Yeah, 48. They got 48 cities which would average 12 per tribe, but there were some tribes that gave up more cities to them than others. Now, I will mention, I'm pretty sure that when they got a city, that didn't mean that the tribe who owned the city didn't also get to use that same city. I think that the two... So you had the two tribes basically side by side in the same city. And this was God's plan because what was the job of the Levites, partly? To teach the law. And so by scattering them all over the, the nation, you would have these teachers, provided they do their job, which was, of course, a, a, a big if. But you have the teachers to teach people. Because the curse becomes a blessing. The curse became a blessing, that's right. And, and that's a very important thing for us to keep in mind. I've mentioned before, sometimes there's things in our lives that we know are a punishment for something we've done. <clears throat> now... You know, you may argue as to whether this particular thing or that particular, but there's no question. There's things that happen in our lives that are punishments from God for what we've done. We can do one or two things. We can either kick against it, you know, I'm not putting up with this. This isn't fair, or we can accept that God knows best. And if we accept that God knows best, He can actually turn that into a blessing. <clears throat> that's happened to more than a few people, and that's what He did in the case of Levi. Now, I'll mention that six of those 48 cities we just named, because <laughs> every one of these cities of refuge also became one of the Levite cities. And then among these Levite cities, some of the cities were, were, were also designated as priestly cities. Those, And of course, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. You had to be descended from Aaron. And... Um, 
now that we've finished dividing up the whole land, everything's done, um, there's one piece of unfinished business in chapter 22, and what is that? <laughs> yeah, we've forgotten about these poor guys. <laughs> they left their, their families back here, and they crossed the Jordan, all these armed men, and this has been years they've been participating in these wars. I don't know exactly how many. I, I suggested last week perhaps seven. Um, but they've been participating in these wars all this time. Now I'll mention a couple things. One is that it's not likely that they had gone these whole seven years without ever going back to visit their family. Um, in fact, if you do the numbers, I'm not going to take the time, but if you do the numbers, you'll find that the, the armed men that crossed the Jordan were not the whole sum of the armed men from, from these tribes. The, 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 it's considerably less. And, and the reason is not stated in the Bible, but I, I'm, I think we'd all agree the reason was that you could not leave these cities behind completely undefended. You had to leave some people whose job was to guard you know, the home fort. And it's, it's entirely possible that they might have rotated as to who was in active duty on the west side versus who was back home uh, guarding, the, uh, guarding the, the homes. The Bible doesn't go into that, but, I, but the numbers are there if you're interested in following that out. But this, this Joshua's sending them back and he commends them. They've done, they've done great. They've done, you know, he has no complaints. But it leads to a problem. A very interesting problem. What is that? The altar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the way back, or it's a half across the Jordan, and the best place to cross the Jordan is at the fords of the Jordan here, where they had originally crossed. Of course, when they crossed it, they weren't fords. It was in flood stage, but this was apparently a time when you could just walk across it. Just before they went across, what'd they do? They built an altar. And they didn't tell anyone they were going to do this. They didn't explain. They just built this altar, and off they went, went home. <laughs> and what did this cause? It anger and distress. Yeah, yeah. The, the other tribes thought that they were building an altar to do uh, something other than God. Well, yeah, I don't know whether they thought it was to building an altar to somebody other than God, or whether they thought it was building an altar in the wrong place. Because you may recall that in in the law it said you had to offer your sacrifices at the place God would choose, which at this time was in what town? Shiloh. Yeah, we saw a picture. I had had a slide last week of the archaeological site where they found where that tabernacle was for several hundred years. But this obviously wasn't Shiloh. This was some other place. What are you doing? And what were the tribes getting ready to do as a result of this? They were going to go attack them. Well, I mean, is that a valid uh, reaction? Well, yeah, if, you, if you're convinced that they yeah. yeah, the law was, was, was had some pretty heavy penalties for people that violated something as serious as this. But fortunately, they did something which you find again in the New Testament, and that is, let's go talk to them first. <laughs> um, and. I mean, in the New Testament, the equivalent of destroying someone would be withdrawing from them, delivering them to Satan, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, but 
In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, you know, if your brother sins, you go to him and talk to him in private. The, the withdrawal is not the first step. And so these people send a, a, a delegation, including Phinehas, who was that um, the zealous guy that speared the two people there when they were um, uh, having doing the Baal worship. Yeah, so he we've known him before, um, and and also some leaders from each of the tribes. And so they went, you know, what's going on, and what was the explanation given? We don't want you to forget us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it actually, they, they had a good reason. I mean, everything they did was fine, except it would have been nice if they had told somebody. <laughs> but I'm sure they never thought about it. I mean, people, they, I mean, people, they do things, and it causes harm, and when you ask them about it, you realize, they just never thought about it. You know, I had no idea anyone would think that. Well, duh, you know, everybody's thinking that. <laughs> but, you know, different people have different ways of thinking, and these guys, and probably they... My guess is they didn't even get the idea until they were, you know, marching along and probably some of them talking to each other saying, you know, this has been great. You know, we've been partners with our brethren. Um, but, you know, in the future, this Jordan River is going to be a big problem. And what if these people decide they don't like us anymore and tell us we can't come? So they built this altar down here so that if the seven tribes or actually uh, ten tribes, if the ten tribes said, hey, you, you don't have any portion with us, They'd say, well, hey, what about that altar that our ancestors built on your side? You know, how'd that get there? <laughs> and are just a reminder that they were partners in conquering the land. It wasn't, it wasn't just the ten tribes' land. It was all 12 of them that owned this land. And, and of course, when they explained it, everyone was happy and, and, and they praised God. And, that, and Yeah, go ahead. That one was when when Joshua led the people across. That it wasn't an altar, but it was a, a pile of twelve stones as a memorial. Yeah, um, and this altar might have been nearby that. Uh, I, I get the impression this one was bigger because they, they really emphasize the size of this one. So yeah, same same place, and for somewhat the same reason as a reminder to people in generations to come. Yeah. Other questions? Okay. Um, now, in chapter 23 and 24, this we've now finished the, the distribution of the land. It's all done, and now we just... And there's a gap, in fact. Between chapter 22 and 23, there's a gap of years. I don't know how many years, but, but years. And, and in chapter 23, it says Joshua was old, advanced in years. How old was he when he died? 110. 110, yeah. Who else for those who are interested in numbers. Who else died at that age in the Bible? It was actually Joshua's ancestor, Joseph, because Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim, who was the son of Joseph. So, um, just that's trivia. Bible trivia. Um, but unless it's your hunter and dead. <laughs> All right. Um, so Joshua then has two speeches, and I don't know why he has two, but uh, it seemed like Moses, you know, he had more than one toward the end there as well. So, uh, uh, and very similar to how Moses did this, you know, he he's he's concerned about the future of these people, so he calls all the leaders together, and of course, I'm sure the leader's job is to go tell everyone back home. Um, there's no way Joshua could speak to the whole the whole nation. I mean, 
an old guy. His voice is not going to carry very far. Um, but he, but these features are great, and they're recorded, so we've, we've got them even today after all this time. Um, and they have two different emphases, although in both cases the emphasis is on obey God. I mean, that's, that's really what Joshua cares about. But the first one is, is just one where he's, he says, you know, you've got the land now, but you know, I'm really afraid what you're liable to do. You know, in verse 7, don't associate with these nations because if you do, it's going to be real bad. Um, and he says, you know, look, now everything is great. You know, you, you fight your enemies. And it, you know, they run away. But, you know, if, if you people, you know, if you start compromising with these nations, it's not going to work that way anymore. And so and Mo- Moses did much the same thing, warning these people of what was going to happen if they, if they turned away. Then we have the second speech. I don't know how much time might have gone between those two. Um, but again, he gathers these leaders and he um, gives this speech. And this one, the, in this case, the emphasis is on what God has done for them and the need for them to choose God exclusively. And so he goes all the way back to to who? Who does he start with? All the way back to Abraham, yeah. And this this reminds us kind of of Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter seven. He goes back to Abraham and he traces through the history. So he, he goes back to the father of Abraham. Uh, Stephen does. Oh, oh, oh! I see. Um, verse. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> um, Tira, yes. And and then he follows down, you know, brief history of the patriarchs, and then Moses and Aaron, and the emphasis the whole way through is on what God has done for them. And and in more recent times, you know, the victories they've had over the peoples, the land, the victory over Balaam, um, and then in the land, how they they won all these victories, and so. His conclusion from all this is in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. The reason he says put away is because they haven't. They still, they're, they are, they're still serving these idols. I'm sure they're doing it privately because um, there were pretty strong punishments if, some, if others find out about this. But they were always so quick to go back and serve these idols. We saw that uh, with the, the incident uh, where Phinehas you know, used his spear. And we're going to see it in the book of Judges repeatedly. And, and Joshua knows what's really going on in their lives. And he's saying, you've got to put those away. And the same thing happened back in the, in the time of Jacob. I mean, when, when Jacob came back to the land with all his wives and children and all that. He's going to Bethel and he had to bury all their idols underneath an oak tree before he got to Bethel to worship God. I mean, that was just... It's always been the problem with these people. So then Joshua gives them a choice and it's kind of a funny choice. What's the choice? Well, that would be a logical one, but that's not... That's not the choice he gives him in verse 15. 
serve? Well, choose who you serve, but he only gives them two choices. And what's the two choices? No. He says, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. That's the two choices. <laughs> but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't even give them that choice. <laughs> um, and the reason he didn't give them that choice is that verse 15 starts, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't want to serve the Lord, why don't you make a choice as to which one you want? Now, why is, Mo, why is Joshua trying to get them to pick which idol they want to serve? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. To, to, I mean, he's deliberately trying to be shocking here to make them think. Um, the basic problem, I, I expect, with most of these people is they never had sat down to think about a choice. They just kept doing the way their parents did and the way they'd always done, never had given any thought to it. And as a result, they were still worshiping idols. And Joshua says, that isn't going to work. So that challenge woke him up. He says, no, 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 we're not going with any of these idols. Um, we're going to serve the Lord. He's the one that rescued us out of Egypt. He's the one we want. And so then what does Joshua say? They say, great, this, you guys are on my side. <laughs> he's, still, he's still doing this. He says, no, you, you're not going to be able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. He knows these people's heart. And, and it, what was true back then is still true today. People want to have their cake and eat it too. The, these people felt like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to serve the Lord, Jehovah. But that didn't mean they're going to change what they've been doing all along and serving these idols as well. And, and, and Joshua was saying, you cannot do that. It's, with, with the Lord, it's very different. I mean, idol, with all these idols in, in most nations of that time, they had more than one idol. And as far as they were concerned, none of the idols cared if you served other idols. Just don't forsake them. That was, that was the idol's attitude. But the Lord is very different. He's jealous. The other idols, they weren't jealous. But Jehovah is not an idol. He's the one God and He's jealous. You go off and serve other idols and He's not going to forgive that. That's what Joshua was trying to tell them. And so once again, they, they repeat, no, no, we're going to serve the Lord. So Joshua is now your witnesses. You've chosen. <laughs> um, so he says, put away the foreign gods who are in your midst. He knows what, what's going on. And, and if, if this is going to be their choice, put some action behind those words. And they said, yeah, we're going to do it. And, and as far as I can tell, this was a successful appeal to these people. Uh, because this says that the people after this, they did serve the Lord, all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who, who could remember the days of Joshua. This is a very successful speech. It's too, I mean, you can't, I don't know any speech that's going to last for you know, thousands, thousands of years, but and certainly this one didn't. Uh, but it, it was what was on Joshua's heart and, and it, it helped. It definitely helped.
And so then Joshua died. They buried him. Um, and they buried somebody else, which is kind of, we're a little bit surprised to find that here, but who else? Joseph. Joseph. Now, yeah, now he's been dead for a long time. <laughs> he was from the same tribe. He was, of course, the father of two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Joshua was from his tribe. So um, they buried him in Shechem, which um, I'm pretty sure Shechem was in. No, Shechem was in Manasseh. I was going to say Ephraim. It was in Manasseh. Now let me mention one one more thing about Joshua that I forgot earlier. After all the tribes got their territories, Joshua asked for a town himself. Now what tribe was he from? Ephraim. Ephraim, yeah. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. And he asked for a town. And the town was Timnath Sarah. It says in the hill country of Ephraim. And do you remember last week the Ephraimites were complaining they didn't have enough territory. And what did Joshua tell them to do? Go cut down some trees in the hill country. <laughs> and so, he was willing to take the same medicine he was dishing out to other people. <clears throat> I'll take a town, a town in the hill country of Ephraim and I'll show you how to do it. He didn't say that, but I mean, he was certainly setting a good example. <clears throat> That's the book of Joshua. Great book. Any questions on it? <clears throat> All right, so now we have our next one. Look at Judges. Um, there's really only only one piece to the book of Judges. There's a prologue and an epilogue and one piece. <laughs> um, we have this introduction which we're covering this morning. Incomplete con- conquest and apostasy. Then we have the bulk of the book, Oppression by the Nations and Deliverance by Judges. Over and over we have the very same thing repeated. You know. The people went off and served idols. God brought them in a conqueror and oppressed them. Then the people repented and then God raised up a deliverer for them and he kicked out the guy and, and they had peace for a number of years. It varied, of course, over and over. Finally, we have this epilogue which shows the religious and the moral disorder of, of this period. And that's summarized at the end of the book by with the phrase, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, and we see the consequences. Um, all these history books uh, in the Old Testament are intended not to give us a complete history of the time, but to help teach us the things that are leading up to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and His kingdom. And we see in the in this book, as with in all these history books, how God is using the people of any given age to accomplish his purposes. And this this particular age was a very sad age. It was one of these ages where you, you look at it and you just say, I can't see how God could do anything with such a rotten age as this. And we will find even a number of the deliverers were yet men of those times. 
and not all their methods were right, and, and just the fact that their stories are, are recorded uh, in the book does not does not mean that it was right. Even for a judge, even some of the things the judges did, you can't look at that and say, oh, well, God approves of that. No. God was able to get His purposes accomplished through that man, but it doesn't mean that He approves of everything that guy did. Uh, far from it. Um, and I wish it wasn't so, but I think the same thing is going on today. I think God is still accomplishing His purposes with people that aren't always doing what God wants. And it's still a remarkable thing that He gets anything done at all given what He has to work with. But the glory is supposed to be God's. And, and it is God's when He uses frail and oftentimes sinful human beings to accomplish His purposes and His glory. Um, incomplete con- conquest and apostasy. That there's, we're looking at kind of two things in the book. The one thing is, where is your heart? Are you going to serve God? The alternative to serving God in the book of, of Judges is basically serving idols. And the second part is, are you going to take the land by faith? We saw in the book of Joshua they had taken, they took the land by faith, but God left work undone for succeeding generations to demonstrate their faith with. And what we find in these first three chapters is they started off fine, but very, very rapidly they lost interest. And they lost interest because they lost faith. And, and God then issued a decree of punishment on them. So the, the the first chapter is is pretty good. Um, who, who's the first tribe that decided they needed to go do something? Or actually, God told them that God picked the first tribe to go do something. Judah. Judah. Judah yes. Uh, you can see why God would pick Judah because Judah was the ancestor of the Messiah. He's supposed to be first. This is going to be the royal tribe. And Judah decided to ha- to get someone to help help him. And who was that? Simeon. Simeon. And of course, it's not hard to figure out why Simeon had all those towns in the middle of Judah. But they're going to trade off. It's you know kind of like people that you know I'll help you clean your house this week. You help me clean my house next week. So they're cleaning house. And and this worked pretty well. They they um, they conquered they conquered all these different cities. Um, one of the men of Judah was Caleb. And we had this story in Joshua, but it's repeated here because it kind of fits this part of the story. He says, Whoever attacks Kiriath Sephora and captures it, I'll give him my daughter Axa for a wife. And who, who was the one that did that? Othniel. Yeah, Othniel. Yeah, who was Caleb's nephew. And um, so he got, he got the wife because he, he conquered the town. Um, and there was some some success in, in verse 22 with the house of Joseph. They they conquered Bethel. But then starting in verse 27, you got a bunch of negatives. Manasseh did not. Uh, Ephraim did not. Zebulun did not. And, and so on like this. Um, they're not doing what God told them to do. And it's not because God's not helping them. It's because they're not 
They don't have the faith to, to do what God says. So that leads in chapter 2 to what? Angel Lord comes and rebukes them. Um, and what's the punishment? Because they're not willing to drive out these nations, what's the punishment? They're, God's going to leave them there as thorns in their sides. Yeah. Um, and their gods are going to be a snare to them. And what do the people do as a result of that? They wept. Yeah. Um, then we have Joshua dying. And I assume they put Joshua dying here because that, that perhaps is the order in which these things actually happen. Um, and so beginning with chapter 2, verse 11, we have the, the beginning of this repeated um, cycle. They did evil on the side of the Lord. They served the Baals. They forsook Him. And so He brought in an enemy um, well, I take it back. This is not the beginning. This is a summary of all of them. Uh, and then he would raise up judges. And then when they would, it just tells what's going to happen many, many times in the book to come. Um, the first one comes up in chapter two, starting in verse seven. And where does the enemy come from? The guy's name is Cushan Rishathaim. But what nation does he come from? It's in verse 8. Yeah, from Mesopotamia. That's way up there in the north. You know, the Euphrates River and all that. Because uh, the word Mesopotamia literally means in between the two rivers. It's in between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. That was back where um, Haran was, you know, where uh, Jacob got his wives. Um, so he's come down a long distance. This isn't the first time we've had people come from this distance. That they back in the book of Genesis, they came from this distance and attacked Sodom and the other cities. But he comes in, and how long did did they have to serve this guy? Eight years. Eight years. And then when they they finally cried to the Lord, which I assume means they repented, and he raised up a deliverer. And who was that? Othniel. Yeah, we, this guy's already had some experience conquering. Uh, the bad guys, and so it's it's in verse in verse ten it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. And so he now understand when in the book of Judges the word judge does not mean um, he he had these robes on and, and people would come to him with with lawsuits and things like that. It meant that he was a leader who led them typically militarily. They already had judges for for dealing with moral cases, the elders of the towns. <laughs> And the tribes would deal with the moral cases. Uh, what they didn't have was a leader to lead them into battle. And that's what Othniel was. So that's what a judge is in the book of Judges. So they, they won. And in verse 11, the land had rest 40 years. And then Othniel uh, died. And then, of course, repeat verse 12. You know, we'll do this again. Um, and uh, this time... The, it's a, the enemy comes from a different location. His name is Eglon. Where did he come from? From Moab. Yeah, I should put a map on. Um, I'm going over here, but I don't think I'm going to have time to make it up next week. Because so. we've got lots and lots of stories next week. Um, Moab was down here. 
And uh, so one of their one of their kings, I, I don't think it was the king of all of Moab, one of their kings came in here, Eglon, and um, he teamed up with Amalekites who were from down here and the Ammonites who were up here. So you had these three nations coming in from different directions and they kind of overran the place and he made his capital at Jericho. Um, and how many years? Uh, 18 years. Yeah, and then the people finally cried out. Now, I need to mention another thing, and that is that these enemies weren't always enemies of the entire nation. Um, th this would have affected the southern end of the, of the country, probably not the northern end. And in fact, some of these stories may actually be going on at the same time. You may find uh, that there will be a, a story that all takes up, place up in the north and they had 80 years of peace and the story takes place down the, in the south and maybe they had 20 years of peace. And actually, they're at the same time. Uh, they, they, were getting, they were getting beat up from different directions and it, it affected them to a different extent. That's why you, you can't just add up the numbers and say, well, that's how, how many years the book of Judges took. There's no way to do that. Um, and it, it's not intended for that purpose. It's intended to teach us lessons about faith in God and, and, and what happens when you're unfaithful. Now, let me mention with Othniel. No, I'm not sorry, not Othniel. Ehud is the guy here, and he's he's famous for being what? Left-handed, left yeah. <laughs> and you know, I wish I could be proud of you know my fellow left-handed leader here, but um, it never says the spirit came on Ehud. He was a deliverer, but it doesn't say that. And and what he did, I don't think you can justify it. Um, I'm sure the people thought it was fine, you know, lying to Eglon and murdering him in private like that. That's fine. Um, but I don't think... We can't use this story to say God approves of, of, of assassinating uh, kings. Um, and I'm convinced that God could have delivered these people in other ways, but He was a man of His times. God, God picked Him as a, a, as a deliverer uh, but he behaved like people of his time did. But anyway, that gave them victory. And then at the very end of the chapter, we have one guy that he gets one verse. What's his name? Shamgar. And it says he struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. What is an ox goad? It's a pointed stick. Yeah, a pointed stick. From what I've read, it was about eight feet long, had a metal pointed tip. And it's intended that you poke oxen with it when they're not going in the right direction. You know, it has to be a pretty tough thing because you know oxen are big and they, they don't just move just when you're gentle with them. Uh, and apparently that was the only weapon he had. And so, um, time to attack the Philistines. He used his ox goad and <laughs> killed 600, which is quite an incredible number. Um, who's who's another famous judge that fought Philistines? Yeah, Samson, we're going to see he does a lot of this single-handed stuff too. That's it. Next time we've got lots of stories and and a lot of them are pretty famous. I think you'll enjoy the reading next time. Appreciate everyone's help this morning.